What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello. So we've got another Hall of Fame class uh, in the books, uh, class of 2021. We've got some um, excellent uh, inductees this year. Of course, kind of a a strange year because the 2020 and 2021 classes were inducted so close together. But definitely uh, some cool names here. And we're going to go back to uh, an old uh, format that we've uh, done before, talking about these guys' last great games. Yeah, this is a, you know, I, I love this format for shows, these last great games. We've gotten a lot out of these, and they're always kind of fun. Uh, to explore and, and, and dig into. It gives us a chance to talk about some people that we don't usually talk about. It gives us a chance to kind of dig into the seasons and the careers of these people and stuff. So uh, pretty cool stuff. But yeah, this is a very, very strange Hall of Fame class. I uh, I initially had this like weird thing in my brain where I met, I was reading about the Hall of Fame class and I'm thinking, man, I remember us doing shows. I remember writing a column about the 2020 Hall of Fame class and it does not feel that long ago. And then I had to realize like, oh yeah, right. Because it was like, Three months ago. So it's uh, a very strange year with a lot of Hall of Famers coming in uh, in, in a short amount of time. Uh, but uh, this, is a, you know, this is a great one-two punch of Hall of Fame classes. Like, I, I really, I mean, this, it, it's also hitting me in, like, a very weird spot because, like, most of these men, I saw, like, their entire primes. And now they're, like, old guys in suits getting, like, plaques. And I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> I'm so old now. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's starting to hit me lately a lot more than, than, than it had in any prior year because it's like, oh, I remember all these guys' entire runs. Like, I remember Chris Bosh being drafted. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know the whole run of Chris Bosh. So it's, it's, it's a little bit to handle, but I, I'm enjoying it nonetheless. Absolutely. Yeah, so just uh, we'll go through the, the whole um, the whole class. In, you know, and obviously we're going to focus on the guys who play in the NBA uh, first, the ninth winningest coach in NBA history, Rick Adelman, um, Chris Bosch, uh, two-time champion and 11-time All-Star, Bob Dandridge, who's also a, a two-time NBA champion, a four-time All-Star, a very, uh, very well-deserving, uh, it's a long time uh, coming for him. Uh, Tony Kukoc, who won three rings with the Bulls and was named one of FIBA's 50 greatest players. And Paul Pierce, who was a finals MVP and a 10-time All-Star. Um, 
Bill Russell, of course, was in the Hall of Fame as a player, now also in um, the Hall of Fame as the first uh, black NBA head coach and won two titles as a coach. Uh, and uh, Ben Wallace, a four-time Defensive Player of the Year and NBA champion, and Chris Webber, five-time All-Star, another guy who uh, a lot of people thought should have been in earlier. And uh, in terms of the others who did not play in the NBA, um, Villanova coach uh, Jay Wright, uh, Yolanda Griffith, who is a seven-time WNBA All-Star, two-time gold medalist, and Lauren Jackson, who's a three-time WNBA MVP, Uh, Val Ackerman, who's the first president of the WNBA, Convit Simmons, who's a longtime NBA coach, uh, headed five teams, including eight seasons with the Phoenix Suns. Howard Gar- Garfinkel, who ran Howard Finkel. Well. Howard Finkel. No. Oh, if ringing up to Howard Finkel, unbelievable. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah, Good for him. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. I get it. Madison Square Garden sure. Knicks. I get it. totally. Okay, makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, makes sense. right. Yes, uh, Howard Garfinkel ran the well-known five-star basketball camp oh. from 1966 to 2008. Oh, yeah, you know, Howard Finkel would have been nice too. Uh, Clarence Fats Jenkins, a point guard and longtime captain for the New York Wrens barnstorming team in the 20s and 30s. And Pearl Moore, who was the all-time career scoring leader in women's college basketball and led the New York Stars to a WBL championship in 1980. We did a show way back in the uh, Women's Professional Basketball League. That uh, Some cool stories there. So that is the class, and we're going to dig into uh, the guys who played in the NBA. That's a really cool class. There's a lot of uh, real cool guys there in, in terms of, like what you said, the guys that played in the NBA, Cotton Fitzsimmons. Uh, well overdue as well. Some some kind of all time great WNBA players as well with the Atlanta Griffith right. and, and and Lauren Jackson. I mean Lauren Jackson too, like an all time great international women's basketball player too, just like on another level. I, I uh, earlier today was reading an article about her and didn't realize how much she accomplished. I mean from pretty much from age seventeen until I think she played until God at least into her late thirties. I forget exactly when it was, and it's just like man, you look at the the amount of things that she won and the amount of medals and championships and stuff. It's unbelievable. How much she represented. So, yeah, real, real awesome uh, for her as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we're going to start uh, with uh, the guys who are in, of course, this year for um, coaching. Uh, Rick Adelman to start off with, obviously, you know, in first coaching career, not for his playing career, but let's see what we can find. Um, but first of all, a semi fun fact Rick Adelman never won coach of the year, uh, which uh, was definitely a, a big surprise to me. Yeah, we were going through the coaches of the year uh, in, in history and trying to find out how we can, uh, you know, get Rick Adelman in there and find him, to, you know, a, a spot. And it's it's tough. Like he he's a lot of the years that he's kind of having great runs. It's like there's also another guy out there having a tremendous run or whatever. There's a few years you can make a justification for some of those Portland years in the you know late '80s, early '90s. You could probably make a justification for. Uh, it gets a little tougher as you get into the uh, the, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, era, I think you know the one that we looked at that we were like, I don't know, is the 2000 uh, 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 year where Doc Rivers gets it for the Orlando Magic. They go 41 and 41, but then we did explore that that year's Orlando Magic, their best player uh, by a significant margin was Daryl Armstrong. So uh, yeah, that may have been a not a bad pick by the <laughs> the NBA to say Doc, you 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 somehow got a team led by Daryl Armstrong to 41 and 41. Uh, so we're going to give you this honor. But he seems like a good one. 2001, where Sacramento really explodes. At the same time, in the Eastern Conference, you have Larry Brown you know, leading the 76ers all the way to the final. So it's like, ah, man, that's a tough one uh, there. 2002, Rick Carlisle leads the Detroit Pistons to 50 yeah. wins. That's uh, probably the one. Yeah. That's probably the one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that's probably the one. Like, no offense to Rick Carlisle. It's a good year, good team. Yeah. But that, that might be the one where I go, okay, the Kings are like a bona fide like, title contender this year. And the Pistons, I mean, they were very good this year as well. But yeah, that that may have been the one that I said. Ah, sorry, Rick, we're gonna we're gonna. And I think I could, I think we could do that now. I think retroactively we can go to Rick Carlisle's 
Uh, how, he doesn't need it. Does he care? Does he care really about no. the 2002 Coach of the Year? The guy's got an NBA trophy, an NBA ring. That's he doesn't true. care about that anymore. That's true. Yeah, his only one though. Yeah, his well, only, that's uh, a, but, yeah, yeah, you know, only Coach of the Year. But yeah, anyway, we'll we'll, we'll try not to legislate the Coach of the Year, uh, you know, too much anymore. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great podcast, Rich, <laughs> Rich and Jason, going year by year. <laughs> Badmouth the man who won the coach of the year and decide who should have actually won it. So that could work. Yeah, honestly, that could work. Yeah, George, Carl, Denver Nuggets, get out of here. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, going back to Rick Adelman as a player. Yes, he played um, for uh, seven seasons in the um, in the NBA. Um, played for the San Diego Rockets, the Blazers, and the uh, and the Bulls, and then also would later play for the uh, Jazz and the Kings at, toward the end of his career. So we're going to get into the point where he is still playing for the Bulls. This is November 3rd, 1974. Uh, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 4 steals playing for the Bulls in an 86-79 win over the Kansas City Omaha Kings. This is their final season in um Omaha, so you know, definitely putting it all over the uh, the stat sheet there. And in this game, you've got besides Rick Adelman, who had one thousand forty two coaching wins, you also have Jerry Sloan, who had twelve hundred twenty one, Mike D'Antoni, who has six hundred and seventy two, and Matt Gukas, who is two hundred and thirty himself. So a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of featured coaches in this game. Um, good times. And um, is Adelman? He would his. Career averages would be 7.7 points per game, 3.5 per game. Definitely a, a role player throughout his career. Um, uh, he didn't. He actually would only play two more games after this for the Bulls, and then he would be shipped to the expansion New Orleans Jazz for John Block. So he's going from Chicago to New Orleans. You know, maybe uh, so, some ways an upgrade. You know, especially in the winter. You know, you get, you get that better weather, but. Um, you know, he did not last a super long time in the Crescent City. After 28 games, he was traded again along with Ollie Johnson to, to the Kings. Of course, he had just had this, you know, really great game against uh, the Kings. And, like, maybe the Kings remember that. And like, hey, let's, let's bring uh, Adam back. Yeah, let's get him back. Yeah, I'll get him back. Yeah. Um, and they traded him for Nate Williams. The the Kings, um, they were playoff bound this year. This was the, their going to be their first um, – playoff appearance since 1967 back when they were in Cincinnati um and then hey their opponent in the playoff ends up being Rick Adelman's former team the Chicago Bulls so a lot of uh a, a lot of former teams here um he Adelman only really plays a very small role uh, in this playoff series 5.7 minutes per game in the six game series the Bulls ended up um advancing uh, to the uh, conference finals f- from the series. Uh, actually, the other player in that um, trade, Ollie Johnson, actually has a, has a bigger role for the Kings there. Um, and then after the season, Adelman decides, hey, I'm going to retire. Um, he works for a while as a shoe rep for Converse and then goes into coaching. He actually led the uh, Chemeketa Community College in Oregon from 1977 to 1983. Then from there ends up becoming an assistant for the Trailblazers for several years until he takes the head coaching job in 1989. Um, and, um, you know, he, in fact, he'd end up coaching for three of the five teams he played for the Blazers, the Kings and the Rockets, of course, also coaching for the Warriors and Timberwolves in his Hall of Fame career. So fun times. Yeah, and, uh, and awesome. Just an all-time great coaching career. I mean, obviously, it starts, you know, pretty great. You said, like, that first year in Portland, he takes over in 1989. 
It's 35 games. They're under 500. They're okay. And then just immediately out of the gate, it's 1990. They make it to the finals. You know, 1991, they win 63 games. 1992, they make it to the finals again. Uh, 1993, they're still good. And then things kind of go a little awry, and, and he is kind of floating around for a little bit. We're, we'll talk about him in a little bit because there's going to be another player that him and, uh, and this player are going to come together uh, on a team with very low expectations to get them uh, to some pretty awesome some heights as well. But uh, I will admit I completely forgot about the Rick Adelman coaching the Minnesota Timberwolves era. But that, that did happen for, for quite a few years as well. Pretty recently, uh, too. I just don't have any recollection of that time period. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's – yeah, after Sacramento, it's a little bit of a blur, the Houston and, and, and Minnesota stuff. But, yeah, I mean, that run between Portland uh, and Sacramento, brief, brief stop in Golden State to have some, some losing in that right. Uh, right. hellhole yeah. of a franchise at the time is – you know, that happened. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a great, great run until, you know – the later parts of his career, but yeah, nothing to not be, you know, I mean, two Western conference championships, uh, almost another finals appearance with, 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 with the Kings. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great run that he had. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely will deserve one of the best uh, coaches of his uh, era. So despite lacking the coach of the year. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the egregious lack of coach of the year that he, he, he received. So, yeah. Speaking of a uh, lack of coach of the year, uh, honors, uh, Bill Russell. Uh, he was, uh, it won two championships in his uh, brief stint as player coach for three seasons with the uh, Boston Celtics. Of course, um, at this point that we're going to be talking about his final season in 1969, um, he has already won 10 rings with the Celtics in 12 seasons. Uh, that, that final year, he averaged 9.9 points per game and 19.3 rebounds per game. So he's 35 years old. He's still pulling down almost 20 rebounds uh, per game. Um Still, uh, still very productive. Obviously, not scoring as much um, anymore. But uh, the Celtics at that point, you know, they're getting older. Uh, you know, a lot of their key guys are, you know, over thirty. Um, finished fourth in the East that season. They're fending off these young upstarts. You've got the New York Knicks. You've got the the uh, Baltimore Bullets uh, in the East. Uh, you know, Philly's still strong, even though they don't have a Will Chamberlain anymore. And then. The talk of the Western Division is the big three of Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor. So, you know, despite finishing fourth in their their division and having to, um, you know, be on the road for most of the playoffs, they are able to uh, they're able to fend off uh, all comers, you know, and uh, they they beat Philly in the first round. In the second round, they uh, have a tough series against the Knicks, and this sets the stage for. April 14th, 1969, Bill Russell, 25 points, 16 rebounds, six assists. This is game five of the Eastern Division Finals against the Knicks. And actually, funnily, funnily enough, the Knicks actually win this game, 112 to 104. Um, the, uh, the Celtics would be able to seal it up in game six by one point. Russell would have 12 points, 21 rebounds, and five assists in that game. But this, um, this is the eighth, the last game of Russell's career. Um, this was his season high in points. He only had 20 plus points three times that season, twice in the playoffs. And he, during that season, he had 49 games of 20 plus rebounds, including nine in the playoffs. So, you know, he's, interestingly enough, um, almost every game, um, in the playoffs, he's playing a full 48 minutes. You know, um, and, and, you know, he's averaging, you know, it's a double, uh, you know, 20 plus rebounds a uh, in nine games of his 18 playoff runs. Uh, I'm looking here. I think he had at least 
13 rebounds in and that, it, that was his minimum of the 1969 playoffs. So, you know, he's definitely carrying his share as a player and as a coach as well. Um, you know, he's scoring pretty good uh, for the most part in the playoffs, especially in this Knicks series. The, the scoring kind of fades against the Lakers, but, um, you know, obviously they are able to win that series in uh, famously in seven games. Um, and, uh, you know, he's still, um, you know, not quite at the top of his game, but still obviously achieving a lot and able to uh, lead his team to their 11th championship. And in fact, he was expected to play and coach the Celtics for one more year, but announced in the offseason as a surprise that he in Sports Illustrated that he uh, was retiring. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is really good to see him um, in there for his accomplishments uh, as a coach, you know, being the, the first uh, black head coach in the NBA. And, you know, he had some good years as a coach later on in, in Seattle as well. You know, they didn't quite achieve, you know, they, they weren't a championship team or anything, but he definitely, um, you know, you know, wasn't just, wasn't just a great coach because he was a great player. He also, you know, did achieve some, um, you know, good things as a coach. We won't talk about the Sacramento stop later. In yeah. Year, we'll but, just leave that. But, it's Sacramento. But, I mean, come on. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nobody's nobody should be expected. It's right. the 1980s Sacramento Kings. Like nobody yeah. should really be expected. And, and, unless you're Rick Adelman, you can't really expect to do much. Right. 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 You yeah. can't really expect to do much, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like I, I, I saw some people be like, Oh, I don't know. I'm, I had, you know, He's already in for a player. Does he need to be in as a coach? And it's like he won two championships in the years sure. he didn't win it. You know, the first year when he didn't win a title, he won 60 games as the coach. And, yeah, it's the right. Celtics, and they were good. And and he was well, playing at that time, so obviously he helped his coaching record. But, hey, that should count uh, for a little bit too. But, no, even the in, even the Seattle run. I mean, yeah, he's in there for historic purposes, uh, being the first black uh, uh, coach. But also, yeah, like the Seattle run, you know, he goes wins 43 games in, in consecutive years, wins 36 games, wins 40 games as well. So he's he's competent. And then, then yeah, obviously the Sacramento one comes. And I think everybody was – I think he was probably just like ah, I'm kind of yeah. down here this is boring and like he yeah. only lasts one year 53 uh, you know 58 games he's 53 years old I think he's just kind of like yeah I'll, I'll do it and then realizes yeah I don't want to do it anymore yeah. this no. is stupid this I is dumb like I don't want yeah. this so no but yeah and I mean just imagine the pressure he is as a uh you know as a player and a coach and as the um I mean, there's a lot. Obviously, there's, it was a big deal at the time. Um, you know, he was the first black head coach in the league. I mean, that was definitely something that was um, covered. I mean, and he was the natural choice, obviously, um, to replace, um, you know, to replace Red Arbrock. There wasn't going to be an outsider who was going to work in that situation. Right. He was obviously the leader of the team, and you know, and and did a really great job as a coach, and absolutely deserves um, deserves the honor. So. So, uh, Rich, I think we have uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about our friends at Manscaped. We are so attention, listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia. We mentioned Lauren Jackson earlier to Houston, where Rick, Rick Adelman coached for a little bit. <laughs> Do yeah. we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job. From the leaders in male grooming, join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code FANSIDED20. Again, it's 20% off plus free shipping, manscaped.com with that code FANSIDED20. And if you're ready for an out-of-this-world experience, look no further than the performance package 4.0 from Manscaped that has taken off not only in the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. And even inside Singapore, the, unbelievable. And even Singapore, absolutely. 
And uh, inside this package, you're going to find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Unbelievable. So first scheduled for uh, liftoff here is the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, your balls, your butts, and even Uranus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lunmore 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock. And best of all, it is waterproof. It has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. And it also includes the weed whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and your ear. The weed whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear air trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs. And those delicate holes. Oh, you gotta gotta prevent those and those yeah, delicate holes. Absolutely. But uh, do not, of delicate. course, forget the crop preserver ball deodorant and their crop reviver to help your little planets be on their A game while feeling the sun's heat. Uh, Manscaped even throws in two free gifts to that perfect package: the Manscaped boxers as well as the Shed Travel bag. So again, get twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code Fansided twenty at Manscaped.com. Again, that's twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code Fansided twenty at Manscaped.com. Your dick and balls need some help for a clean trinity and beyond. Your space balls will thank you. And speaking of uh, providing a legend some help, we got Tony Kukoc. Tony Kukoc. Yeah, let's talk about Tony Kukoc coming into the Hall of Fame here. Um, The best game that we're going to pick up from him is from April 9th, 2003. Uh, this is off the bench for the Milwaukee Bucks. Coach is now a member of the Milwaukee Bucks here. Scores 26 points, grabs seven rebounds, dishes out eight assists in a Bucks blowout of the Los Angeles Clippers. Of course, uh, Coach well known for his his years as the Bulls, uh, uh, kind of six man or, or, or top scorer off the bench. But uh, he's got a very interesting career even before that as well. So he grows up in split Croatia. Uh, he excels in his early days as a table tennis player, but then eventually realizes, wait a minute, I am six foot eight. I should go do something else. And he moves over to basketball, which is a wise choice. Uh, because he immediately makes a name for himself on the international stage. Uh, and the accolades are absolutely unbelievable for Tony Kukoc. Three-time EuroLeague champion. Three-time EuroLeague Final Four MVP. 1991 FIBA EuroBasket MVP. Uh, FIBA World Championships MVP. Multiple under-19s and under-18 MVPs. Croatian Sportsman of the Year three times as well. Uh, just numerous stuff. He is absolutely the man uh, for Croatia and international basketball. Uh, for a while there. Uh, 1990, he is drafted by Jerry Cross. I shouldn't mention he's a part of that amazing uh, Yugoslavian team as well when, when, when obviously Yugoslavia was uh, still together. But uh, yeah, he's there with you know, Drazen Petrovic and Vladi Divac and Tony Kukoc. And like, yeah, going back and watching some highlights from those teams, you're like, holy crap. Like, right. what a, that's why that yeah. team was like, like as good in many cases as the American team. Cause like, look at them. They're amazing. Like, yeah, there's so many good players all at once. And it's, uh, it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, obviously, what happened with, with, with Yugoslavia, what happened with that entire team and, and a lot of those guys and, and you know, them ended up, you know, kind of not really getting along. Uh, 
due right. to, to to do the civil war going on and stuff. But uh, yeah, you watch some of those games from like eighty eight or whatever, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety. Oh, yeah. and it's just like wow, these guys are incredible. But uh, Kuko just drafted by Jerry Cross and the Chicago Bulls in nineteen ninety. Uh, a, a shrewd move by, by Jerry Cross at the time, and that's still when you know Europeans were icky and weird. And no, we right. don't want them. No. Like, they're not good at basketball. They just beat us, you know, in international play. But they can't not, handle the NBA. Tough. Like they're not tough. Yeah, they're just not tough. They don't know how to score. They shoot too right. much, like a bunch of pansies. We can't have right. that. They yeah. don't know what they're doing. Yes, yeah, did they just beat us a few years ago? Yes, they did. And, and sometimes they pass too much. Yeah, so. they pass a lot. Yeah, right. and that's, they do pass a lot. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> they no. run and they pass and they shoot, and that's just not going to work in the NBA. So right. Uh, yeah. But uh, a shrewd move here by the Bulls, getting him in 1990. He would spend three more years in Europe before finally reporting to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, he would be joining a Bulls team that had just won three NBA titles. Uh, but unfortunately, he'd be joining a team that now was without Michael Jordan. But uh, Kukoc was as good as advertised uh, as well in 1994, despite you know some some small hurdles uh, adjusting to the game. The uh, the Croatian sensation, my, one of my favorite all-time nicknames. Uh, he plays well, uh, averages 10 points a game, primarily off the bench for the Bulls. But uh, as later as the year goes on, I'd become a key piece of uh, Phil Jackson's new-look Chicago Bulls, which that team... Would surprise the NBA world by really not missing that much of a beat in the wake of Jordan's retirement. Obviously, they would not win a title, but they'd finish 55 and 27. Scottie Pippen would assume a role uh, as a top player. Kukoc would come in and, and, and kind of fill some of that scoring gap. And they make it all the way to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. I mean, they almost nearly beat the Knicks and go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And now, I don't know, would they have, you know, would they have been able to make it through? You know that year, I, I don't know exactly, but uh, it, it, it's hard to say because they were a pretty pretty damn good team, uh, even without Michael Jordan. This is obviously when you know if you watch the Last Dance and 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 or you know NBA history, you know this happened. You know, this is during the the infamous you know Pippen Kukoc tension, where you know Phil Jackson calls a play for for Tony Kukoc to to hit a game winning shot, which he does, and Scottie Pippen doesn't come off the bench and causes a lot of issues for a lot of people. And this the the resentment towards Kukoc was long lasting as well. Nineteen ninety two. Uh, if you watch the Dream Team documentary or, or know any history about the Dream Team, that was a long time thing too, where where Jordan Pippen were were very annoyed that Tony Kukoc was going to come to their team and be good for them because Jerry Krause wanted to give Tony Kukoc money and he liked Tony Kukoc and right. you know, uh, yada 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 a lot of yeah and, and worth noting that you know Kukoc like did nothing wrong here he was just he was a proxy for you know a war between you know Pippen and yeah. Jordan and he Jerry was Krause. like I don't like, know I yeah. just got like, yeah. me and I want to play basketball they're like fuck yeah. you dude <laughs> like, right. how dare you yeah how, how dare you yeah and yeah. the best part is like you know in 1992 when 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 that is going like you know there there is the tension in the civil war going on I, I think it was in, I think it was in the dream team documentary and they're like, oh, Tony, what'd you think about? And he's like, I mean, I was like losing friends to a civil war. I didn't really care right. about, you know, nope. like, this, like my family was being ripped apart by a civil war. And I don't really care if these guys are like, yeah, what's up, bro? What are you going to do, bro? And he's just like, I don't, I'm just going to play basketball and hope that my family yeah. lives during the civil yeah. war. So it just made it all so stupid, this, uh, the, the, the tension. But yeah, Tony Kukoc, there's nothing wrong here. Just wants to play basketball. Uh, yeah. But in 1995, Horace Grants departs uh, the Bulls, joins the Orlando Magic. And that's when uh, Kukoc uh, will, you know, he'll come off the bench for a few games at the beginning of that year. And then he'll become uh, a starter. And uh, has a great season. He averages 15.7 points per game. Uh, later in the year, Jordan returns. And Kukoc, who had been a you know key scorer for the team throughout the year, uh, he does see his role reduced a little bit because it's Michael Jordan. And, you, you know, as much as I love Tony Kukoc, Tony Kukoc is a good player. But if you're Tony Kukoc, you know, yeah. a few of those shots per game could probably go to Michael Jordan. So you say, hey, here, here, you, go. Sense, yeah. here yeah. you go. Take some of these shots. I don't really need them that much. And then right. uh, they would uh, make a, a decent run through the Eastern Conference playoffs. They'd fall to Orlando. Uh, and then they'd come back, and, and you probably know the story. They'd win three straight titles. Uh, Kukoc would play a key role, mostly as a bench scorer, mostly as a six-man. 
Uh, Des cap off the 1997 championship with a cool as hell dunk uh, at the buzzer. Uh, and then uh, the Bulls dismantle their team, and, and Kukoc is one of the last guys standing afterwards. When, when Pippen is gone, and Rodman are gone, and Jordan is gone, Kukoc is still there. He'd average a then-career-high 18.8 points per game on an absolutely dreadful Bulls team. Uh, then after 24 games in 2000, uh, he was mercifully sent to Philadelphia uh, in a very, very bizarre, weird trade that uh, ended up not working out for, I don't know if anybody, really. I guess Golden State maybe got the best. So it's a three-team trade. Uh, the Golden State Warriors trade John Starks and a 2000 first round pick, eventually Chris Mim, uh, to the Chicago Bulls. I guess, well, they traded Chris Mim for Jamal Crawford, so I guess that, that ended up working. So, yeah, there you go. We'll yeah. go that. John Starks did not work out for the Chicago Bulls, though, including uh, he didn't want to play for the Bulls, so that didn't end up working out good. Uh, Bruce Bowen went to the Chicago Bulls, and they ended up not really using him either. He'd end up having a good career, obviously not with the Bulls. And the 76ers would trade Larry Hughes and Billy Owens to the Golden State Warriors. And, uh, yeah. This was this was attempt number seven, I think, to find a player that would work with Allen Iverson. It says Larry Hughes didn't work, and Tim Thomas hadn't really worked, and Jerry Stackhouse didn't really work. They're like, all right, look, <laughs> Tony Kukoc. Yeah, yes. Jason, it did yeah. not work. Uh, February twenty second, no, no. he right. has moved yeah. to the, right. your Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they traded him Hawks, with yeah. Nazi Mohammed, Theo Ratliff, and Pepe Sanchez. Uh, go to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and that's for Rashawn McLen- uh, uh, McLeod. Uh, and Dikembe Mutombo. So they said, all right, you know what? We're just going to get a guy who doesn't want to score. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> this man doesn't want the ball. How about that, Alan? And guess what? That worked. That worked, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, everybody else just plays defense and uh, and Iverson scores. And right. that, yeah, that worked pretty well. You shoot every shot and our other players are Aaron McKee and Dikembe Mutombo. Does that work right. for you finally? It <laughs> yeah. did. It did. Yeah. I was fine with that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, a little over a year later, uh, that is it for Tony Kukoc and, and, and your Atlanta Hawks. He yeah. makes his final stop. Milwaukee, the equally infamous, we talked about the Dikembe Mutombo uh, trade, the equally infamous Glenn Robinson trade of August sure. 2nd, 2002. We all remember where we were when this news came down. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Tony Kukoc, Leon Smith, and a 2003 first-round pick would be sent to the Milwaukee Bucks uh, for Glenn Robinson. And that leads us to uh, 2003. But before- uh, Oh, sorry. That, I'm sorry. I just I do want to mention uh, a fun fact. My uh, first uh, NBA jersey was a Atlanta Hawks Glenn Robinson jersey. Oh, that's so, awesome! Yeah, yeah. Big old wings it, and stuff. Yeah, that's. It, a- <laughs> it was it was a little bit too large for me, but, uh, but no, well, no, well, it was a large jersey for Glenn Robinson at this time too. So. <laughs> it was, yeah, that, that worked out pretty well it, for both guys. Yeah. It was the era, yeah, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right for sure. But uh, yeah, so this leads us to 2003. Uh, Kukoc's last great game here. As we said, a weird game and a very weird team as well. So the Bucks, uh, at this point, are two years removed from making the Eastern Conference Finals against the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, as we mentioned. Uh, but they're uh, kind of in turmoil here. In February 2003, they trade what felt like their franchise cornerstone, Ray Allen, to the Seattle Supersonics for what felt like their franchise cornerstone in Gary Payton. One of the weirdest trades of all time, just Ray Allen for Gary Payton. A few other guys uh, moved along uh, as well. And there were some financial implications as well, if you really want to get into the minutia of luxury tax and all that sort of stuff. But essentially, it was both teams realizing, "Ah, I don't know if these guys are going to lead us to anything, and we don't want to pay tax on them, so here you go. We'll just trade both of our parts here. Uh, But it does, in in one way in Milwaukee, it does reunite Gary Payton with his longtime Supersonics coach, George Carl. Uh, And this New Looks Buck team is strange. Uh, the talent is there, but uh, they're not great. It's it's Gary Payton. It's Sam Cassell. It's a very young Michael Red kind of coming into his own here. Tim Thomas, the aforementioned Tim Thomas, uh, sort of Anthony Mason, kind of, not really. He said it like sometimes Anthony Mason, not all the time Anthony Mason. Right. Joel Prisbilla, of course, uh, one sure. of the key 
obviously yeah. a key cog in that entire team. But uh, on this night, the uh, the still pathetic but close to being okay Clippers come to town and uh, they get their blows, uh, doors blown off by the Bucks. One twelve ninety two. Uh, Kukoc comes off the bench as usual as he did during this time as well, but has what I would call the last great game of his uh, his career. Uh, 10 of 15 from the field, connects on all six of his free throws. Uh, he ends the game with 26 points, 8 assists, and 7 rebounds. Leads the team that night in points and assists. Uh, Tim Thomas narrowly edges him out with 10 rebounds, though. Uh, and this, unfortunately, would be Kukoc's last real productive year. Uh, the Bucks make the playoffs, and, and Kukoc averages 14.8 points per game in that postseason as well. Uh, the Bucks are going to fall to the New Jersey Nets in six games. And uh, believe it or not, Kukoc would play on the Milwaukee Bucks until 2006, but his minutes and output... Uh, drastically fall and 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 he was looking to hang on in 2007 but uh he didn't want to go too far so he wanted to at least be in Milwaukee or Chicago uh, neither team was interested so that was the end for Tony Kukoc's career there but I played a lot longer than I I, I kind of remember him playing I don't remember much of of mid-2000s Milwaukee Bucks Tony Kukoc but uh Apparently yeah, thing still. no, I yeah, I would not have expected that he played 254 games uh, with the uh, Bucks in uh, his career. That would have been more than I would uh, have expected. I kind of forgot. Yeah, he. I was kind of thinking it was probably done by like 04 or so. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah for, I do not. Years I yeah. really do not remember him at all on those like you know the Terry Stotts, you know, right? Like led you know Andrew Bogut uh, Milwaukee Bucks teams, but uh, apparently the Michael Red emerging teams there. But uh, apparently he did. So there you go. Yeah, well, there you go indeed. So. Uh, next, we have uh, Chris Bosch. Uh, you know, Bosch was the fourth overall pick in the heralded 2003 NBA draft. Of course, the one with, you know, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Dwayne Wade, um, Darko Miltic, of course, you know, most, most famously Darko. Um, he spent seven seasons with the Raptors. He made five all-star teams during that time. And then he joined the Heat along with LeBron James uh, in the summer of 20. 20- 10 to form the Heatles super team. Uh, they would uh, make four straight finals and win two championships. Um, he remained with the Heat even after LeBron returned to Cleveland in the summer of 2014. Overall, he spent six years with the Heat and was named to the all-star team in all of them. Uh, and, you know, Bosch continued to play role, play well in his new role. Uh, he missed the second half of the 2015 season because of a blood clot in one of his lungs started to, you know, really see the health problems that would end his career. Then Uh, he did return in 2016 though. The heat bounced back. You know, they ended up finishing with a 48 and 34 record. They made the second round of the playoffs, took the Raptors to seven games in that series. However, uh, Bosch again, missed time after the 2016 all-star break because of a blood clot in his leg. Uh, ended up having to sit out the rest of the season and the playoffs because of the medicals. He didn't really want to um, sit out, but the team insisted that he did. And, you know, um, after evaluation with the doctors, eventually did agree. He planned to return in the 2017 season, but he failed his physical, was eventually released uh, by the Heat uh, for salary cap reasons. Uh, He sought a return to the NBA in 2018, uh, but in 2019, he announced he was officially done and that he retired his number one jersey in March of 2019. So uh, the game that we have to talk about um, is January 4th, 2016, 31 points, 11 rebounds, one steal, one block, zero turnovers, only eight for 20 from the floor. He was two of six from for three, but he was 13 for 16 from the line. Uh, this is a game against the Pacers. Uh, there's a uh, AP recap of this game. Uh, the lead is Chris Bosch and Paul George had a quick conversation during one stoppage in play. 
both taking a moment to remember some of those epic Miami-Indiana playoff matchups a few years ago. I was joking with PG, just telling him how it was old times, Bosch said, and you know, talking about just you know the fact that, of course, both the Pacers, they still had Paul George, but they were, you know, kind of fading. Um, you know, the Heat obviously, you know, had moved were, were post LeBron. And, you know, even though they were still playing well this season, definitely were in a new era. But um, it was kind of interesting to see. Um, the uh, Heat actually came back from 18 down to uh, win this game against the Pacers. They won 103 to 100 in overtime. Um, the game recap notes it was the worst shooting game of the season for Miami, uh, only shot 38% from the floor and Eric Spolstra's quotes here. And I, I don't know if this is double meaning or not, if I'm taking something from it, but uh, his quote was, this was classic Eastern conference basketball. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so like, is it cause it's bad? Yeah. Or, cause it was bad and low scoring or, and nobody or, had that much fun or yeah, I don't know. Or, or maybe, you know, I, I think thinking maybe perhaps defensive minded, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That, yes. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a, okay man (laughs) anyway yes ed bosch uh ended up having an offensive rebound made one of two free throws to seal the game in an overtime paul george missed a uh game-winning attempt um i guess we can't make fun of paul george anymore because he was really good in the last playoffs so um it's hard to you know yeah um, no he was tremendous yeah yeah so we we can't make fun of uh of paul george for failing in the clutch again you know because he he did well so We'll have to wait for another period of bad. Uh, I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure it will so, come. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm always amazed. I, like I always thought, I always figured that Chris Bosh was done a lot sooner, and I always forget that it's like, yeah, right. it wasn't that long ago, and it was. Right. I always forget the that that he was, you know, still kind of there even in the post uh, uh, LeBron sure. uh, run. Yeah, it's it's strange. I just uh, never, I never, yeah. I, I always thought it was like 2014 that it was over, 2015 that it was over for him. But right. uh, yeah, he ended up having a pretty you know, long career, uh, all, all, all told, despite, you know, the medical issues and, and felt like he still had a lot left in him. But obviously, you know, you'd rather be, you know, alive than, than you know, well, <laughs> playing yeah. those last few that's, years. That's so more important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he kind of had the set. He was kind of the centerpiece of that team, you know, that that first year back. I mean, Wade was still there, but Wade was definitely, you know, um, a, a bit diminished. Well, while Bosch was still, uh, you know, closer to his prime and, and ended up kind of, you know, he was the guy whose numbers kind of took a hit when he, join the heat just because you know his role was more you know was more defensive was more just kind of um you know fitting in and you know filling the gaps and you know he wasn't the guy anymore but he kind of became the guy again and, and played really well up you know up until obviously the the blood clot started to be an issue and he, he couldn't play but um yeah he only had 19 games left in, in his career after uh, this one so, so very very close to the end here um and you know he he I mean, he had some really good games after this. It was, he was still, you know, a really effective player up until, you know, the very end. There was uh, obviously he was, um, you know, only uh, he, he was still relatively young. He wasn't, um, uh, you know, he was uh, 31, 32 years old. You know, he was still, uh, you know, basically in his prime when he uh, when he had to retire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I'll move on here to uh, to Paul Pierce, a, a former uh rival in some ways of Chris Bosh here. I don't know if they ever stopped in the middle of the game and said, ah, man, Eastern Conference basketball ain't it great? <laughs> maybe they did. Maybe they did. I, I mean, don't know. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was an 80 to 68 game and they're like, oh, wow, this is this is what it is. This is the game. Uh, but anyway, we're going to go to uh, April 22nd, 2011 for what I consider his last great playoff performance. Uh, it comes in game three against the Knicks. He scores uh, 38 points on 14 of 19 shooting, including uh, six of eight from three. Uh, we'll get to that game in a bit, but uh, we'll talk about Pierce's career uh, a little bit here. Uh, after a great college career, 
uh, from Paul Pierce. He's selected 10th overall by the Boston Celtics. And Pierce is pretty much a ready-made NBA scorer and a pretty much an NBA star like from from jump really i mean he averaged 16.5 uh, points per game his rookie year uh, and then little by little gets better and then by his third year he's up to 25.3 points per game and he's you know leading a, a, a pretty good boston celtics team but uh, we should note that in uh, 2001 uh, september 25th to be exact he is stabbed 11 times in a nightclub and uh yes. yeah you you would kind of assume that that might be it for you know his career or whatever and he just goes on to play all 82 games that year just doesn't miss a beat he just goes that's ah, all right I nearly died, you know, a month ago, but I'll just play every single game. That's fine. And uh, I remember I was I was listening to a quote from uh, Rick Pitino, uh, who had, uh, was his coach at that time. Uh, it was uh, it was in some article, and he was just like, we had to tell Paul, like, you know, stop taking because he would like drive to the lane and take these big hits, and they're like, ah, just maybe not because you have like a lot of stitches. You you were stabbed eleven times, sir. You might want to just you know take it a little bit easy. But he's like Paul Pierce, is just like ah, whatever, you know, I'll figure it out and. And it being fine, like, and there was almost no effect at all, which is pretty wild when you get stabbed 11 times uh, and nearly die that you just kind of kept on going on. So um, at this time, uh, as we're saying, after that, that 2001 and as, as the Celtics are kind of getting going here uh, with, with, with Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker, uh, Boston in the midst of a just a franchise crippling six year playoff drought, Jason. Oh, my God. Six years, and they, and, and like yeah. if you think that Boston reacted to this the way that they they did, they hated, they were insane this, during this time. Fucking Rick Pitino getting like you know screaming at reporters, and it was it was madness. They missed the playoffs six straight years, Jason. Unacceptable. Yeah, uh, at nuts. Just after yeah. nuts, but likely it didn't last that long. Uh, Pierce uh, leads them back in 2002, uh, his first year as an NBA All Star. Him and Antoine Walker and and a lot of other uh, good, you know good role players uh, lead the charge. The rejuvenated Celtics they uh, make a miracle run here. They blast through the Eastern Conference and eventually make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose in six games. They have a very very close chance of making it to the NBA Finals, where they would inevitably be just get absolutely destroyed by the Lakers. But hey, they would have made the playoffs, so that would have been kind of cool. But it is Boston versus the Lakers in the finals, so I don't know, you know, that would have been amazing if, you know, Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, and, you know, the other ragtag bunch of the 2002, uh, just because of the Boston, you know, thing, just end up beating the Lakers in the finals. But uh, right. I don't know, that would have been, been tough. Tough go, but uh, uh, Pierce would make the uh, all-star team the next five years. Uh, the Celtics could never match that run, though, that they had in 2002. They'd lose in the first round the next three years, and they completely missed the playoffs in 2006 and 2007. And this would uh, looked like it might have been the end of the line for, for Pierce in Boston, and this this started to gain some steam. Actually, this week, uh, this report uh, it came out, and a bunch of people you know chiming in on it as well. I don't remember ever hearing this before. I, I don't know if it was a uh, rumor that a lot of people knew before, but it did gain a lot of steam this week as, as people were kind of recapping uh, Paul Pierce's career, but uh, in spring of 2007, uh, Paul Pierce runs into Mavericks owner Mark Cuban in Las Vegas and uh, tells him, I'm your missing piece. Uh, Paul Pierce tells his agent to attempt to engineer a trade to Dallas. Quote, I'm in my prime and I'm watching all these other guys in the playoffs. It was depressing. I thought I was out of there. I thought it was over. And uh, Mark Cuban would then say on Twitter when, when someone uh, posted the story, says it gets better. We had a done deal. We had a three-team trade done. All teams agreed to their part of the deal. When we get on the trade call, the third team killed the deal because they didn't know that a first round was going to the Celtics. So they chose not to do the deal at all. So it falls through. It doesn't happen. And then Danny Ainge goes to his backup plan, which was... Acquiring Kevin Garnett from Minnesota, totally, totally not a favor from Ainge's former Celtics teammate Kevin McHale. Just a very normal, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> fair trade between two yeah. former friends and still yeah. friends. But uh, yeah, you know, I ended up working. Uh, and then he gets Ray Allen, the aforementioned. We talked about Ray Allen earlier. It gets him 
um, to, to Boston as well. So the Celtics have a big three. And predictably, the big three was great. They won an NBA title yeah. their first year, and they contend for pretty much the entire run of, of, of those three guys. Uh, they'd win the title in 2008, as we said. In 2009, they'd lose to the upstart Magic in the Eastern Conference semifinals. 2010, they'd make it back to the finals, where they'd lose to the Lakers. And then the 2011 Celtics, which we're talking about here, looked to get back and redeem themselves. Uh, they'd, they'd start, you know, obviously, with a first-round series sweep against the Knicks, led by this game three that we're talking about here. Pierce is on fire. He scores 38 points, 14 and 19 shooting, uh, 6 of 8 from 3, a perfect 4 from 4 from the free, th- uh, the free throw line. Uh, Rondo in this game dishes out, uh, uh, I think it's 21 assists. I wrote 12 here, but I'm pretty sure it's it's more than that. Let me let me double check, make sure I get it right, because it's more than 12, because 12 is not that impressive. 20. It was 20 assists. That's more. But he had 11 rebounds, too. Rajon Rondo. Remember when he was amazing and great right. and, yeah. and really, really good? Uh, and Garnett, uh, he gives 12 rebounds, and they cruised to the win, eventually put away uh, the Knicks, who I did not realize. So this Knicks team, obviously, after years of struggling, this is the Mike D'Antoni, uh, I believe his first year? No, third year. Third year in in in, uh, in, in, in New York. Right, because he had some bad teams to start Yes, with. he had some and real then, bad teams. And yeah. and Jason, I'm going <laughs> to – this team is – is they make the playoffs, but I would guess – I would say that this is a bad team because here's the starting lineup for your Knicks. My Knicks. <laughs> your, lo- my your, Knicks. your beloved my Knicks. Knicks. My beloved New York Knicks. Okay. Carmelo right. Anthony, okay, sure. good right, player. Yeah. Amari yeah. Stoudemire, great player. Right. Tony Douglas, well, yeah. Landry Fields, right, and Ronnie Turioff. Yeah. Yikes! <laughs> he got yeah. the. I hope he won Coach of the Year in 2011 to get this team to 42 wins. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they would you sweep. Got, you got Jerry Jeffries on the bench too. Yeah, it's uh yeah. it's a it's a murderous row of of guys that are players in the NBA uh, for sure. Yeah. Man, they shoved Williams in that deep bench, and they didn't play him. Yeah, really. yeah. The, cor- the corpse of a, of um, I think the corpse of Chauncey Billups is on that team at, at one point too. Uh, or he didn't play in this game. I, he may, I think, yeah, he I think was, he, maybe he was yeah, hurt or, or maybe like on the next team. Yeah, he was he was around during that time. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly. This is the year before Linsanity, right? Linsanity's uh, correct. The next correct, correct. Yeah, exactly. Correct, yeah. 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 So, yes. So. Yeah, the, not a. Uh, well, this I believe this is, from. if yeah. I remember correctly, this is yeah. Okay, I'm I'm right. This is during the year when they do trade for Carmelo Anthony, and they basically gave the Nuggets all of their bench and all of their starters. To, so, yes. you know, okay. like hi, we don't need any of these guys anymore because we have Carmelo Anthony. It's like all right, I mean, you know, right? <laughs> you sure That's you don't right. want Calinari and and, and yeah. Raymond Felton and Wilson Chandler and a bunch of these picks? Like no, we don't need any of those. Take the yeah. call. You yeah. Know? Anthony Randolph, you don't need him either. No, okay, all right, yeah, fine. We'll just right. take everybody. Yeah. Then. That's fine. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, so that leads you with a Tony Douglas, Landry Fields, Ronnie Turioff uh, uh, starting five there. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, Boston would eventually lose in the Eastern Conference semifinals against uh, a new big three: the Miami Heat, Chris Bosh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, as we just talked about here. Uh, yeah. Boston would have one more gulp of contendership in uh, in 2012. They make it to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals before once again falling to that Miami Heat team. And then by 2013, it all comes crashing down. They'd still make the playoffs, but that was it for the big three. Uh, as Ray Allen had left the team earlier to to join Miami, and everybody would get all mad at him still to this day. I think I, I forget if they've actually gotten over that if they're still upset about it. But uh, uh, Pierce. I uh, would move on to Brooklyn in uh, 2014. Then he'd have his little run with Washington as well, kind of a miracle fun run. Uh, I, I enjoyed the Pierce Wizards run where he was like not that great, but still kind of okay uh, run yeah, he in 2015. Had a, he, yeah, he had a, a, a game winner in that playoffs against the Hawks, and he had one really good game there as well. Um, and then almost hit the game winner, but it came after the shot clock or after the, the game clock. It was like they had to review it and um, – 
and yeah, it didn't come in time. So otherwise, yeah, he would have hit two game winners in that series. Yeah, so. that, that was a fun run there, though. The John Wallet is prime and Bradley yeah. Beal kind of coming together, and I, Paul Pierce being the veteran leader and stuff. It, it was fun. It wasn't fun for me, but I but objectively, <laughs> I, I can yes. see where you would say it was fun. An yeah. objective, yes, an objective viewer found it uh, found it pretty interesting. But uh, sure. yeah. then he would end his career uh, on the uh, Los Angeles Clippers in 2016 and 2017, but never quite recreated that magic that he had in in obviously in Boston and then that fun run he had in uh, Washington in 2015. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Next we have, speaking of Washington, Bob Dandridge, uh, who was a four-time all-star for the Bucks and later the Bullets. Uh, and he actually, I found this out today, he actually scored more points in the NBA Finals than any other player in the 1970s. He four appearances and, uh, and scored more points than any other NBA player did in the Finals during that decade. So kind of a fun uh, fact there. Yeah, take that uh, Wilt. <laughs> take that. Yeah. Or take that Kareem. What do you? Right, take that Kareem. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Bob Lanier, I, get I, out of here. I would say, yeah, you bomb. <laughs> Al Lanier not making a lot of finals in the seventies. No, not no, that, no, not no. much. No. Um, yes, uh, he was the perfect complement. I would say to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson on the Bucks. They won the 1971 title and they made the uh, 1974 finals, losing in seven to uh, to the Celtics. And uh, he was definitely one of the first major NBA free agents to switch team, helping put the Bullets over the top to win the 1978 title and make the 1979 finals. Uh, He retired with averages of 18.5 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, 3.4 rebounds per game, 16.7 PR. I only mentioned PR because I just, I always thought it's interesting by comparison, James Worthy finished with uh, relatively similar stats uh, in his career. Um, you know, slightly less points per game, slightly less rebounds per game, right around the same assists per game, and a little bit of a higher PER. But um, now the PER is perfect. But given their career spans, the, the the best number to use as a one number comparison, one of them, of course, was on the NBA's top fifty list. Made the Hall of Fame nine years after he retired. Uh, and you know, it probably had nothing to do with it, but he happened to play for the Lakers, you know, and, uh, the other made it to the hall of fame finally 39 years after he retired. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know why, but Hey, he's, he's finally in. So that's, uh, that's good times. Yeah. It, it, long overdue. And we've been, I think, screaming about this as long as the show's been <laughs> around it. He's one of the guys yeah. that, that absolutely belonged in this hall of fame. And yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate it took this long, but at least, at least he's finally there. And, and, uh, at least we finally got it done. So not yeah. we. I we I guess we didn't get it we, done, but yeah. Maybe. I mean I, I don't know. Maybe well, I, you know. we advocated for it, you know. So yeah. I would I would um, assume, yeah, you know what? It we said something, it happened, thus we played a part in it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, go with that. I, I'm gonna give us the full credit, hundred percent credit. Full, for all right. It. Hey, you know yeah. what? Go off. Yeah, Let's I like do it. it. Why not? Yeah. Um anyway, last great great game. We are picking January twenty seventh, nineteen eighty. He had twenty seven points on six twenty two true shooting, nine rebounds, three assists. Two blocks, a 22.6 game score in a 116-107 win over the Warriors. Uh, he was 32 at this point. Uh, his season, in fact, would, would be over after only seven more games this season. He'd only play 34 more career games after that. Uh, he returned to the Bucks briefly in 1982. And they'd already had a frustrating season in 1980. You know, of course, they made the finals in 79 
won the championship at 78. They were expecting to contend again, you know, even though they, uh, you know, their, their top stars, you know, Hayes, Unseld, and Dandridge were all uh, getting older. But uh, as we discussed, I believe in our last uh, show, you know, they were getting Kevin Porter in. You know, they were going to fast break. They were going to, uh, they were going to, you know, be exciting again. Uh, you know, um, Dick Mata was super excited about how great they were going to be. But uh, unfortunately, didn't go well. Part of it was um, Dandridge, you know, he had more injury struggles than he'd ever had um, previously in his career. And the team was definitely frustrated with him in, uh, in and out of the lineup. There's an article from the Washington Post in February 1980. Um, and Dick Mata is very candid. He says, we can't win without Bobby and everybody knows it. Uh, and there's one anonymous player who says, I don't know if Bobby is really hurt that bad or not, but all this stuff he's pulling is hurting us. I'm glad they sent him home. <laughs> so yikes. <laughs> yeah. And then Dandridge says, yeah, I wasn't completely healed when I joined the team in Denver, but I want to try to play it help. The doctor told me to try it, but if it hurt to stop playing and that's basically just what happened. Um, and then another Dick Mata quote, I have to believe he's hurt when he says he's hurt. That's all there is to it. It's demoralizing when it happens, but there's nothing anyone can do about it. I do know that it's starting to have a bad effect on this team, though, um, which I feel like if you say I have to believe he's hurt when he says he's hurt, that means you don't really believe it. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> just a way to say I don't believe it. But, yeah, I mean, yes, I'm legally <laughs> yes. and public PR-wise <laughs> obligated to say I believe him, but I totally do not believe him. So. Right. So Dandridge's injuries were that season a sprained ankle, a strained ligament in his foot, a stiff neck, a sore back, a groin muscle pull, and now and then a, a pulled calf muscle. So, um, you know. Uh, obviously there's another quote in here where um, he talks about how, like if they were fast breaking more, he thinks he would actually be healthier but because they're playing so slow. He has to be like in the post more and take like a bigger pounding. And you know, that's, that's not helping either. So I found that interesting considering the idea of them being a big fast breaking team with getting Kevin Porter in. But um, anyway, the bullets at this point, they would finish 39 and 43. Dick Mata would leave to join the expansion Mavericks. Uh, the Hayes unsold combination would be done after another year and advantage would leave as well. And the bullets would basically be a mediocre, mediocre, bad franchise for the next, Oh, you know, 30 to 40 years, I yep. guess. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Well, and I guess this is a good segue into this guy who uh, did not help them not become a bad franchise either. Chris Webber, yeah. I guess he got him to one, uh, one playoff. So we'll take that. But, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, Chris Webber, he's in the Hall of Fame now. Uh, we're going to go to uh, January 5th, 2001 uh, for his, his what I can tr- consider his last truly, truly <laughs> great game. Okay. Um, and this stinks because obviously he had many, many years after this. And he has a lot of very good games. But this one is like amazing. I mean, this is like oh, when we talk yeah. about great. I mean, this is like one of his greatest games ever. And I, I just felt it was it was a good time to uh, to talk about that one versus like, you know, some pathetic, weird, you know, 76ers game where he scores 22 points. You know what I mean? That's not very sure. fun. Let's talk about the good times with Chris Webber, right. not the, yeah. you know, not the Chris Webber that couldn't jump, <laughs> you know, shooting a sure. bunch of 19-footers and, and, you know, five of them go in and that's a good game. But yeah. uh, right. uh, this game, 51 points, 26 rebounds, 24 of 47 from the field, uh, a pathetic 3 of 6 in the free throw line, though. Come on, get your game together, man. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Which actually, yeah, man, it cost them this game. We'll talk about it in a bit, but uh, right. a little bit of a Jalen Rose revenge game here for, for Chris Webber against uh, his, uh, his former uh, Fab Five uh, member here. Uh, surprisingly, Webber's one and only 50-point game, so we probably touched on it when we uh, when we did a series about guys that surprising, you know, 
not 50 games, like guys that we thought would get more 50 point games that never did. I, I forget if we brought Chris Weber up uh, in yeah. that, but this is it. This is his one and only 50 point game. And what's right. weird is he's not even like close that often. He has four 40 point games, four of which are 41 points and one is 40. So it's not like he's getting 48 and 47. Yeah. Like he's never close to that. And it's probably the area he's playing in. It's the teams he's playing on. But but still, sure. yeah, you kind of assume that Chris Weber, you know, especially during the time when he was just an all time, all time great that, yeah, he would have gotten some more 50 point games, but he never really did. So I, but I, I, I don't think of him as like a, I mean, he was a great player, but I don't think of him as like absolutely great score. I mean, he could score, but he was more, I, I you know, a little bit more along the lines of somebody like Garnett or Duncan, where um, he did everything well, but he wasn't necessarily going to be, you know, um, putting up a lot of shots, at least not you know, routinely. He would do it once in a while. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, his best game was probably when he, you know, he was drawing double teams, then passing out to Peja or, you know, dunking it to right, sure. uh, Bibby cutting the lane or whatever. I mean, those, those right. are and that's when the, the, the Kings really hum. So there was right. probably a lot of times where they didn't want him to just go out there. He probably could have. But, sure. you know, yeah. it's like, no, we don't need you to go do that. We're, we're, we're much right. better off. We're better if you're not. Yeah, yeah scoring exactly. 35 and then dishing out, you know, eight assists. <laughs> it's going to work out a lot better for us. Um, so I, I did want to note this here. Playoff career high was 34 uh, in game one of the 2001 Western semis against the Lakers as well. So it's not like in the playoffs. He had a bunch of huge scoring explosions right. either. Yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, at this time, Weber is three years into his run with the Sacramento Kings, a run that uh, was seen by Weber himself and and many in the NBA as a failed superstar being cast off to Cowtown. Uh, he's drafted first overall in 1993, spends only one year with the Golden State Warriors, uses a one-year escape clause uh, to leave the team. Uh, he would then move on to the Washington Bullets to reunite with his former college teammate, Juwan Howard. And the results, as, as, as you mentioned there, by you know the team not being very good ever, is uh, they were mixed. Uh, he played well. He, uh, he made the All-Star team in 1997. Finally, though, in 1998, he does lead the Bullets slash Wizards to their first uh, playoff series uh, in, in nine years. Unfortunately, they uh, face off with the 1998 Chicago Bulls. And I don't want to spoil the last dance for you, but uh, it does not go very well for, for Weber no. and the Wizards. It's uh, no. They're, uh, right. I think, mentioned for about 25 seconds in that entire series. That lets you know yeah. how that goes. Yeah. Um, in May of 1998, Weber is on the move again. He's being traded to the Sacramento Kings for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe. Uh, and at this time, Sacramento, one of the sorriest franchises in the NBA at this point, uh, despite having a pretty loyal home following. Uh, the franchise had made only uh, the playoffs only twice in the 13 years they'd been in Sacramento. And uh, no offense to the, the fine folks of Sacramento, but it's it's Sacramento. It's not exactly the sexiest uh, NBA team as well. So nobody really wanted to go there. They didn't really. They weren't really successful. It was kind of a, a weird. It's one of those like, man, why did they have a team in Sacramento type things? And I, you know, not to say that I still question that today, but I still sometimes I'm like, yeah, man, really Sacramento? It's a weird place for a team, but. Uh-huh. All right, I hate they. They have a loyal fan base, so so good for sure. them. And, and I like Sacramento. I've been there, but it's like, yeah, you go and you're like, I don't, this doesn't seem like an NBA town. But hey, you know what? Yeah. It's worked out for them. But uh, uh, there there was a, many pieces this week uh, about this deal, and and Weber was was vocal about this at the time as well. But you know, he said he thought he was going to be traded to a California team. Fortunately, he thinks he's going to the Lakers. And uh, he thinks he's getting traded for Eldon Campbell, Eddie Jones, and Nick Van Exel, which is a much bigger package than uh, Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe, we, we, we should right. say. That's a pretty damn right. good deal if that happened. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it was Sacramento that he was traded to. Weber says they wanted to banish me to Sacramento. That's what that was. But uh, what ended up happening is, is, is kind of a storybook uh, you know, scenario here where Weber eventually gets to practice. Rick Edelman's there. He's the coach. He's a veteran coach. You know, Vladdy Divock's there. There's enough veteran guys to say, hey, look, you know, we got a good team here. So if you're, if you're willing to buy in, 
I think we can do some good stuff. And they do. Weber embraces the small town and becomes really the NBA superstar so many people thought he could have been during those years. He makes four all-star teams in a row, uh, leads the Kings to unprecedented success, including taking the uh, Lakers to the absolute brink in 2002, going you know minutes, seconds, points away from uh, making the NBA Finals uh, in 2002. Uh, unfortunately, though, injuries and eventual unrest leads uh, Weber to leave the town uh, for Philadelphia, Detroit, and then finally he does nine games with his original franchise, uh, the Warriors. But that 2001 game that we're talking about here, uh, you know, how does Weber do this? How does he explode for a career-high 51? And he just kind of does. Uh, Peja Stojakovic, who had at this time established himself as a solid number two for the Kings, averaging 20 points a game, 20-plus points per game. Uh, he shoots really poorly. He's 3 of 10 from the field. Uh, Jason Williams, uh, Weber's flashy uh, point guard, who who at this time helped me and, and I'm sure many, many other people learn how to download videos on the internet. Uh, so we go watch Jason Williams highlight videos. Uh, we got many viruses along the way, but we got some pretty cool, uh, <laughs> pretty cool highlight packages uh, with that as well. He was four fifteen, which uh, unfortunately was was a pretty familiar sight for for Jason Williams. Uh, and Doug Christie was another good scorer on the team. He goes over four, so they just kind of go, all right, well, no one else is scoring, so Weber, it's up to you, man. And uh, you know he had led the team in scoring that year at twenty seven point uh, one points per game, and he just kind of decided, well, I'm just going to do everything this game, and, and he does. He scored fifty one of Sacramento's ninety one points. Uh, he scores. I was able to find a highlight from this, and and he pretty much just bullies Jermaine O'Neal, who's very young at this point. I think Jermaine O'Neal's still like 20 or 21 years old at this point, still pretty skinny. Uh, it does not go very well. So Weber's first shot of the game, he goes up for 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 a post shot, and Jermaine O'Neal just swats it away. And Jermaine O'Neal kind of talks some shit after it. And Weber clearly is just like, all right, now you have to die. Like, And then the next 47 minutes is just an assault on, on, on Jermaine O'Neal and... Unfortunately, Sam Perkins, our, our guy Sam Perkins, uh, does not do well in this game either. He gets just destroyed by Chris Webber. Dunks, putbacks, head fakes, fadeaways, just rebounds galore from Chris Webber. Eventually, uh, Chris Webber does get to 51 points. No three-pointers, only six free throw attempts uh, during that as well. Uh, Fab Five teammate uh, Jalen Rose, 19 points and 7 of 18 shooting as well. And uh, weirdly enough, though, the Kings would lose this game in overtime uh, as Webber missed all five of his shots in overtime. Only John Barry. Do you want to talk about Eastern, Eastern Conference basketball, the, the Pacers bring Eastern Conference basketball to Sacramento here. Only John Barry would score in the overtime period for the Kings. He would score two points. Jalen Rose, he provided four points for the Pacers in the overtime <laughs> period. So real exciting stuff here from these guys. Uh, the Kings are going to fall in this uh, this game. They're going to fall to 21-9. and nine. Uh, The Pacers improved to 15-19. and 19. Uh, The Kings would end the season 55-27, and 27, make it all the way to the Western Conference semifinals against the Lakers. Uh, the Pacers, they would finish 41-41 and 41 and lose in the first round uh, to Allen Iverson and the 76ers. So, um, as I said, there's probably some, you know, a random Philadelphia game there that you could probably pick out for, for, for Chris Webber. But I thought when we talked about truly great games, uh, this is one that stood out to me just to show you, you know, how great he could be when he really just was out there saying, hey, I'm going to have a great game. But, uh, yeah, again, there's there's some pretty good Philadelphia games and and stuff like that. But uh, it, it kind of falls off a cliff um, in, the, in those later years, unfortunately. Uh, absolutely. And uh, worth noting that uh, Chris Webber's uh, 47 field goal attempts were uh, the most uh, since uh, Michael Jordan had 49 in uh, 1993. So uh, uh, he's on the, you know, if you look at, like, after 1978, there have only been 11 times where somebody has um, attempted more than uh, 44 field goals in the uh, you know in a game. So he's uh, definitely an exclusive company for um, for doing that. So good for him. Yeah, get some shots up. He's probably, yeah, probably hey, sore right. the next day, but hey, <laughs> go hey, for it. <laughs> right. Yes. And uh, Kobe Bryant has uh, had six of those games. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes. yes. 
including dropping, of course, the 50 uh, uh, in his 60-point uh, game. So, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, so good times. So uh, next we uh, have uh, our, our final selection is Ben Wallace. So um, I like how you um, you and I have different approach to this. Like I tend to pick a game that's kind of close to the end of their career where you're like, oh, I don't want the, the mediocre game. I want like the, uh, <laughs> the greats. You know, I, want I want greats. The great yeah. game. I want the great game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we've, we've switched off in, in these great but, game series. Yeah. It depends who you talk about. But someone like a Chris, I'm so depressed by Philadelphia Chris Webber. Right. That I just no. don't want to. Like no, he's got I, a headband and he's kind of fat and he can't really jump. And it's just, no, it's so I get sad. it. Yeah. yeah it no, like I, I, I like that we do it differently. I, I think it's fun. But, but this one, which is, is you better, of, if you chose, you better not have chosen a Chicago Bulls. Ben Wallace game because I do not I, identify I not. with that. Okay, good. All oh, right. um, well, I, the the funny thing is this is kind of both. Um, this is so it's, it's um, December eleventh, uh, twenty ten, um, one uh, one day before my daughter's second birthday, and um, this is Ben Wallace's career high in points. Which you know, not that Ben Wallace was ever a big scorer, but you would not have expected that Ben Wallace would have. You know, his I would not have expected that Ben Wallace would have had his career high in points, you know, in like one of his last two seasons. Right. You would assume like one of those years in, in when the Pistons are just cruising that they just like have a joke and they're like, hey, Ben, <laughs> score yeah. 30. And he's like, no, I don't really want to. They're like, no, we went fine. Like we're winning because that would have been hilarious if those guys just like because they could play around for a few of those years. They were so good. You know, they were dominating the Eastern Conference. That would have been fun where they just have a game where they just feed Ben Wallace all game. Right. It's like, stop. It's like, yeah. I don't want to. I'm not that good at scoring. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, come on. Yeah. You got it. You got it. You got it. It's you know. fine. Yeah, right. Um, so 23 points on 779 true shooting. One of one from the three-point line. I got to see. We'll, so is this like a yeah. heave or like did he actually spot up and just fucking we'll, drain it? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't I, wait. Um, 14 rebounds, four assists, five steals, four turnovers. Um, this is his career high in points for the regular season. He did have 29 points in the playoffs in 2005 against um, Philly. Um, unfortunately for him, the game did not go as well for his team. The Pistons ended up blowing a 25 point lead in the second half, and oh. the Raptors won 120 to 116. So maybe that's why you don't feed Ben Wallace the ball. Right. Well, yeah. So. He ended the game with a three pointer at the, at the buzzer. I, I did not see if it was a heave or, or what exact what the circumstances were, but this was the fifth three pointer of his career. He finished his career six for forty two from three, so he took forty two threes in his career, but um, which is more than I kind of would have expected. But you know, obviously, you, you occasionally get those situations at the end of the shot clock or whatever where you would might take one, but. Um, uh, Tayshawn Prince quote saying, Hey, you look at the box score. We've got guys setting career and season highs all over the place, but the other team shot 63% and won the game. We just self-destructed. I don't know how else to explain this. So, uh, not great vibes in Detroit. We'll get more into that, but, um, this is early in the second season of, uh, Wallace's second stint in Detroit. He previously won four defensive player of the year awards, helped lead the Pistons to the 2004 NBA title. He'd call it a career after one more season. He'd finish with averages of 5.7 points per game, 9.6 rebounds, and 2.0 blocks per game, which is 25th all-time. He is fifth all-time in defensive box plus-minus. In addition to the Pistons, he also played for the Bullets Wizards franchise, one year with the Bullets, two years with the Wizards, the Magic, uh, and the Bulls, and as you mentioned, and the Cavs. So, and you look at this, this Pistons team, yeah, kind of a sad crew because – You've still got Tayshawn Prince and Rip Hamilton. They're they're they they had never left at the time. 
um, or Hamilton was soon going to be on his way out. Um, Prince would be there for a couple more years before he would uh, be gone as well. You got Rodney Stuckey and Greg Monroe, and they're they're like the young players who at one point kind of seemed like they might be something and then ended up not really reaching their potential. Um, and then you've got Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon, who were like the, the big free agents that the um, that the Pistons signed. Um, it, it both looked like they actually might be okay fits for the team, but they both just really went south right away. And, um, you know, and the, and the team, uh, you know, got mediocre to bad pretty quickly. And then you got Tracy McGrady, who's on his last legs, uh, you know, c- kind of uh, in there. And then, yeah, the, their coach was John Kester. And I, I, I kind of forgot about this, but there was a whole thing. He only lasted one year as the um, Pistons coach, never coached again in the NBA. Uh, the team actually uh, formed a mutiny against him. I think. Yeah. Uh, Yes, you know, uh, five of the key players um, missed shoot around the morning before that night's game. Uh, team sources told multiple media outlets that the players were staging a protest. And, um, you know, there were sources told the Detroit media that uh, the shoot around boycott was directed at uh, John Cash. Actually, he was in the second year as their coach who had clashed with players in the past. Um, yeah, he ended up being fired after the uh, after that season. Um the Pistons finished 32 that year. And I kind of thought this was like near the end of the Joe Dumars era, but he actually hung on for like three more years after that. So uh, in 2014. So yeah, just a, um, you know, not a, uh, definitely a personally great game for um, Wallace. And there there were, you know, it was um, I think nice for the fans to see him back. And he actually like played still pretty well. I, you know, I think, um, you know, through the season, you know, it still did the stuff that he was good at and still was, you know, helpful toward winning, even if the numbers were, I mean, his numbers were never impressive. Obviously he averaged 5.7 points per game. So that, that wasn't what he was about, but, um, but yeah, definitely, you know, this is kind of the, the very end of this era of Pistons basketball. Yeah. I was liking, you know, Ben Wallace's late career to sort of what we got with Dennis Rodman, where like a little by little, he just became like, ultra one-dimensional like there was times where he could do both things there was times where you know but and then by the end it's just like ah you know what you're getting out of Ben Wallace like you you don't even want him to touch the ball you just kind of want him to get some rebounds and throw some blocks or whatever and it's not never quite as good as it was but it's still fine like he was still a a relatively productive player into those final few years the Cleveland years of course he was still uh, pretty damn good and, and and those last few Detroit years but the problem was he just like completely stopped scoring or even attempting to score or you know kind of became a little too one-dimensional but it's still you know you knew exactly what you were getting out of the guy and it was it was fine you know what i mean it was perfectly sure. perfectly fine this is also the year where he met me in an elevator uh, as well so. oh yeah as opposed to the other was... way around yeah i did not meet right. him he met me in the elevator he met me i bet he was probably pretty intimidated by how oh he was, was certainly intimidated like, by, yeah, yeah yeah i can see yeah. that yeah Right, yeah, he is. He's a tall man. I'll just sell that. Yeah, yeah. even though he's not tall in NBA speak. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he is a very, very tall man. So. For an NBA center, he's not particularly tall. But no, he for, was not. But but, uh, but compared, yeah. yeah the, the girl I was dating at the time said, "Why didn't you say anything?" And I was like, "What am I going to say to Ben Wallace?" <laughs> like, right. You know, hey Ben. And this is like coming off like the Chicago Bulls years where I was not that big of a fan of Mr. Right. Ben Wallace. So yeah. in yeah. retrospect, Ben Wallace is actually on the right side of the history with that. But, oh yeah, uh, right. Yeah. But uh, at the time, I was an idiot and was like, "You're no. blinded." Yeah. Uh, 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 stop uh, trying to wear the headband. <laughs> Scott Skiles is rule, man. Like, yeah, know. yeah. Follow Scott Skiles is rule. You know. <laughs> In yeah. retrospect, Ben should have worn the damn headband and yeah. thrown a towel at Scott Skiles' face, similar to right. Robert Ory. But uh, he exactly, didn't. yeah, yeah. Not exactly. do that. So. So. Um, anyway, yeah, Ben Wallace. Right. He rules, though. I love Ben Wallace. I'm, I'm glad. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's just awesome. I mean, a guy from Virginia Union, a guy that like wasn't 
really like you're like yeah how is this guy as good as he was like he, right, he ended up yeah. having just a tremendous career just one of the great nba stories of all time bounces around a bunch he's on the the bullets he's on the wizards he's on the magic and it's just like yeah what does right. this guy do what, what happens he goes right. to detroit and it's like oh he just doesn't score he just shoots but then he did kind of score a little bit and they were good and then they won titles yeah. and they were that yeah. was a really really fun team for a while yeah. and right. he was probably i mean rasheed wallace is obviously the most fun member of those pistons teams but i, I put sure. big ben right up there i mean he is oh, just yeah. yeah just a fun fun player yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, good times. So, yeah, we've uh, gotten through another show. This, is, uh, this has been a fun one. Always uh, interesting to just kind of like, you know, find one game to hone in on and, you know, find some stories there. Yeah. It's always a uh, always good deal. So uh, so thanks Rich, for uh, another fun time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. And uh, thanks, everyone, of course, for uh, checking us out. You can find us at the step back at fansided.com. Lots of great NBA uh, content there as the uh, season gears up. And, uh, you know, if you're uh, interested in what we're doing, uh, give us a rating and review on uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We always uh, appreciate that. It always helps uh, other people find the show and it makes us feel good about ourselves, which is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we need the most. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, instant gratification, if you want to, uh, you know, follow us on uh, social media, we are on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. I, we haven't really ventured out into any more modern social media because I don't know if just, uh, you know, I'm old, you're getting old. I don't know if that's uh, for us. <laughs> I don't understand that. I, I've yeah. gotten to the point where I, I almost barely understand the new ones. So, yeah, that's right. So it, but if you really, really want us on a new social media platform, we'll uh, we'll, we'll think about it, I guess. So uh, you, you can beg at us again um, on Facebook or uh, Twitter at Over and Back NBA. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We're back again soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.